Let us join our hearts in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the gift of faith by which you have cleansed us of all of our sins and given us the promise of everlasting life. While we struggle in this valley of tears, we pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us with the wonderful hope that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We pray this all in his saving name. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed who have been purchased and bought back to God by the suffering, death, and resurrection of his only Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's grace and kindness and compassion are yours to be found only in him. Amen. The text for our meditation tonight is taken from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 through 17. And St. John writes as he's given this uh, vision of heaven. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell with them, dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who's in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. Back in 1841, the great author Charles Dickens was writing a series of stories in, uh, over in England, and he wrote a fictitious story about a girl named Little Nell, uh, who was 12 years old, uh, roughly. And on a journey, she leads her grandpa, they were rather impoverished at the time, leads her grandpa on a trip, and she slowly becomes weaker and weaker herself, and finally is laying on her deathbed and finally dies. And at her deathbed, uh, Dickens describes this, the sentimental uh, scene around her death and, and the people who love her coming to, to watch this poor little girl die and really describes quite a, quite a deep sadness. And his book became so popular once it was published over here in the United States that uh, people traveled over to England to try to find the locations of where this girl had lived that were mentioned in, uh, in the book. Uh, even though she was uh, a fictitious figure and it was a, a made-up story, uh, because he said it in certain towns, people went over. And there was a, a postmaster over there that decided to make a fake gravestone for Little Nell and to put it in a church graveyard and then charge people money to take them out and show them where Nell had been buried, even though she was a fictitious character. And he apparently made some money off of this. But what he discovered is that many of the people who came over, they themselves had lost children. They had had children die. And uh, it touched such a special chord inside of their hearts, this, this strong emotion of, of parents and people that, that had had to deal with the death of a little child, uh, that, that that was really the primary audience that would come over for, uh, to see this grave, even of someone that was made up. 
One of the most difficult things I've been told is that of dealing with the death of a child. And I know members in congregations have come to tell me their stories. One man told me a story that had happened 50 years earlier in his life when he was in his 20s about his little five-year-old that drowned. And uh, he still started crying while telling the story to me. And another woman I know that was in a congregation I served couldn't even come into the sanctuary for many years because that's where her daughter's funeral, 18-year-old, who had been killed in a car accident. So we live in a world that has to deal with the sadness of death and we live in a world that has to deal with the sadness of grief and, and loss and so on. Uh, we often speak about this valley of tears, this veil of tears. And grief is probably one of the places where we really feel that the sting of being in that valley or veil of tears. And for some, it, it actually starts to define their life. It, it establishes such a, a hole in their life when they're missing someone that um, it's, it's almost difficult for them to recover from that. You know, we think about in, in the Bible, the first two chapters of the Bible start out with this wonderful peak this wonderful plateau of, of beauty and everything perfect in the Garden of Eden. And then we quickly fall in chapter 3 down into the deep valley and pit of all the troubles in this life and uh, all the difficulties that we have to face and the thorns and the thistles and the work and the labor and the grief and the sadness and sin and all of that. And we're still living down in that valley. And then we read a text like this beautiful text and scene that we have in Revelation back up on this plateau of heaven. And uh, it's, it's really hard for us to imagine. In the same way that it's difficult for us living in the valley right now to try to envision and imagine what Adam and Eve had it like before the fall, we, we can kind of try to guess at it, but it's so far removed from us. It's also difficult for us on this other plateau of heaven to, to listen to this, and it sounds so wonderful and beautiful, but we're so down here in this valley. It's really hard for us to comprehend just how magnificent and wonderful that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There won't be a single thing that makes us sad anymore. It's just, it's just hard to fathom. At the same time, as believers, our hearts are drawn toward this new plateau, this, this, this new beautiful home of heaven that's waiting for us. And, and we're like a magnet. We want to be there. There's something that's just pulling us to want to be up there. And yet, at the same time, we live down in this very imperfect world. And, um, and that imperfection of the world, the valley that we're living in, is also in me. It's also in you. And we sense that in our own sinfulness, in our own problems that we cause in our lives or in the lives of other people and things. We're so much a part of this imperfect world in our thoughts, in our minds, in our speech, in our actions, that it, it's hard for us to ever imagine what it would be like to not be living in this pit that we're living in right now. And so when, when we look at ourselves in all honesty and we try to compare, when we, when we know the reality about ourselves, compare that to this beautiful scene of these people living in perfection in heaven and described as just being such wonderful, perfect saints, it's, just, it's hard for us to deal with that almost. It's it, it's almost a challenge to get our minds around that. And, and we may at times be filled with uncertainty. Am I really, am I really ever going to make it into that throng? 
Am I real? Who I am right now, am I really ever going to be in that group someday? If God had left it to our own devices to crawl out of this pit, back up to that kind of a plateau, we could never have made it. Last week in chapel, morning chapel, I preached on the beautiful text from Colossians where Paul says this, and I'll read it again. God the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And that's the beauty of Christianity. God is the one that gets you there. It's not us. It has nothing to do with you. God does it in you and through you with his Holy Spirit in your baptism and through his word, claiming your heart, giving you faith in Christ, cleansing you of all of your sins, having you wash your robe of the filthiness of living in this valley in the blood of the lamb that's been shed for you, the, the lamb being the son of God himself. And that, is, and that alone is the only way that God takes us out of this pit of despair to that beautiful plateau of heaven that's waiting for us. The cleansing of these garments is a process that that God himself does and has already done for you. The Greek word that's used here is a word that means to be completely wrapped up in a garment, uh, to to have it completely engulf you and wrap all the way around you. If you've ever given a bath to a little child and uh, maybe a two-year-old and they come out of the tub and you've got a big white towel and you just completely wrap it around them and around their head and everything. Use that as kind of a picture of the, the comfort that we have in the righteousness of Christ that now wraps around us in our baptism and through the word of God. But here's the problem. We're still living here in this pit. We're still living here in this valley and we don't feel this. We don't see it in ourselves. We don't recognize it in ourselves because we know our sinfulness and we know our struggles and our problems. And so it's still hard for us, even though God tells us that's how I see you, it's still hard for us at times because we we feel like we're still so out of touch with that group that's up there in heaven. But the perfection that you and I have is not a quality in us that's been created in us. It's something that wraps around us from Christ and is just given to us. And it's something that God now sees. And really, he's the one that matters in all of this. Many years ago, some friends of mine adopted two little children down in South America. And it was kind of a poor country. And they went down there and and found out about these two little children that they could adopt, adopt, a brother and sister. And uh, they went through the whole process. The kids didn't know about it yet. But the family... Uh, up here in the States, and they had some money. They had quite a bit of means. The family from here in the States went down there and, and, and went through all the work of adopting these little children and uh, planning to take them then back up to their new home and everything. Now, in the meantime, when this process was going on, the kids didn't know it yet. They had not yet found out about it. And if you had tried to explain to them, they had no idea what a beautiful house was waiting for them. They had no idea what their new life was going to be like. They had no idea that they belonged to the parents. And if you had tried to explain this to these little children, they would would have no clue what you even would be talking about. But the parents saw them and knew them as their own and had already claimed them and knew the plans they had for them in the future. You and I right now are like those children. God has already claimed us. He's already taken care of the work of making you his child. 
He's already cleansed you of your sin. He already has a, a spot and a room in heaven in his mansion that is just for you. And he's planning to take you there. But right now, you and I maybe don't feel like it because of some of the struggles and problems that we're going through in this world. But he wants us to know it's already been taken care of and to live in that hope and to live in the knowledge that you belong in that plateau and you belong in that throng that's being described by the Apostle John. There's certain things in our liturgy that we use that, that I love, that we hit every Sunday or maybe every time there's communion. And there's certain lines or songs that stand out to me as we go through the liturgy. But one that I really love is right, um, right before we sing the Sanctus and the Lord's Prayer in the Lord's Supper liturgy. And we have this beautiful line the pastor often says or sings. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven. And when, we, when I hear that, I think about my mom and my brother and my cousins and my aunts and uncles who are all singing along at the Feast of the Lamb while we're celebrating it here, still down in the valley, but we belong with them up there in heaven and how the voices that we don't hear in heaven are singing the same song to the Lamb that we're singing down here on earth. And we look forward to the day when God will drag us out of this pit of this world back to the home where you really belong, in that white-robed choir. Amen.
Thank you.